Welcome to episode 180 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And we are a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. And as such, we are brought to you today by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you don't go back. And we are, of course, broadcasting to you live for us in the uh, bowels of Magenta Manor, deep within the Pat Cave. And uh, I am, of course, joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of wine, the real housewife of Transylvania, the queen of the monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes Von Nightmare. Why do you have to call it the bowels? The bowels of Magenta Manor. Like, because sounds like sounds, you have to go to the bathroom. It sounds classy and mysterious. No, it doesn't. Yes, it sounds mysterious. No, it doesn't. The bowels. Yes. We're in the bathroom of Magenta Manor. No, there's a difference between bowels and bathroom. They're just, you know, you just uh, automatically conflate the two because, you know, usually if you're, if you're using your bowels, you're in the bathroom, hopefully. But Sometimes you know, I use my vowels. Sometimes, you know, uh, everybody has accidents. It's okay. It's all right. It doesn't make you any less special or any less less uh, worthy of friendship and kindness. Thank you. I needed to hear that. And uh, as you can tell from this unusually upbeat episode, uh, today we are discussing uh, one of the greatest uh, icons of our childhood. One of the greatest people ever, like period. Uh, and even though he would he would not like you to say that about him because he didn't he didn't think that he was uh, anything special because nobody's perfect. Um, he wasn't special. You are special. Just for being you. Yes, today, uh, because of the recent release of the film, and you know, like we said, we're trying to get into our our uh, our historical figures and how they're portrayed in the media and how realistic it is. Today, we are talking about. Uh, Mr. Fred McFeely Rogers, known affectionately to everyone as Mr. Rogers, everyone's favorite neighbor. So we got a chance to see the the film, so we're going to be touching on some stuff from the film. Obviously, that's not going to be really spoilers. It's just going to be you know some of the stuff that they highlighted that they got right, and like how that uh, really portrayed who he was in life and how they kind of brought that uh, into the big screen and Tom Hanks uh, Tom Hanks was born to play this role. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um if he does not get some sort of accolade for this role like this portrayal, I'm, I I would be shocked. I would be upset, but you know what? Uh But it's not about the accolades. It's not about the trophies. Right. It's not about, you know, it's it's about telling the story, a story that deserves to be told. And if you've had a chance to see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, you know exactly what we're talking about. And if you haven't, you know, like I said, not spoiler territory, so we're not going to ruin it for you. Uh, But do go see it. It's a film that uh, really harkens back to your childhood. I know it did for me. And it really made me think. Like, it, it, it hit me in the feels a little bit. But it it really made me think, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in our discussion portion of the show. But until then, we actually have a getting into character question. Yeah, what's our uh, getting into character? Because you came up with this. Uh, this tends to be like right in your wheelhouse. These I love these coming up with questions. Yes. So many questions. So what do we got today? So we want to know 
which shows from your childhood had an impact on your adult life. Now, I'm not talking about the Saturday morning cartoons that you watched or, you know, the shows that you watched after school. I'm talking about the shows like Mr. Rogers that really had an impact on you as a child that you've carried with you to your adult life. See, for me, obviously, you know, Mr. Rogers is one. Um, Sesame Street is another. Although at the time, I, of course, didn't realize this. I was just watching stuff that I thought was entertaining. And this, you know, Mr. Rogers was a very nice man with a nice, pleasant voice who said nice things all the time. And Sesame Street had all these crazy, colorful characters who did different things and everyone had a different personality. But I can tell you that doing research for this show and rewatching some of these old clips, like, I I had to go through several tissues because it's like, oh, my God, like... I remember that. And some of these things, and we're going to play some clips, and we're going to, we're hopefully going to tug at your heartstrings a little bit in this episode because Mr. Rogers was such a huge part of everybody's life growing up, I would, I would imagine. Um, unless you're too young for that. But even then, I, I mean, I would recommend showing this to your kids. Uh, despite what some people might think, uh, we are going to get into a little bit of, uh, I found a clip of someone who was not a fan of Mr. Rogers, actually several people who were not a fan of Mr. Rogers, and uh, like I said, we'll get into that later on, but Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street, definitely 321 Contact was another one I watched all the time because, you know, even as a a youngster, I enjoyed science, Um, and I know it's probably obvious to say, but... um, the Simpsons had a huge influence on me, not just because I found it to be entertaining, but also because, you know, you get to see this really dysfunctional family dynamic, you know, that kind of made your family seem normal by comparison. And like the message at the core of the Simpsons, I think is that family is the most important thing and everyone generally will do the right thing eventually but they're always looking to do what's right for their family. So, Ashes, how about you? So, I have a couple. Obviously, Mr. Rogers. Sesame Street was a big one for me. Not only were you learning your alphabet, your colors, days of the week, and, you know, cognitive stuff that prepared you for school and and whatnot, but I really enjoyed the diversity of the characters on that show. Not only the people on the show, but the monsters as well. And that's something that I believe has contributed to the longevity of Sesame Street because it's still on. And Elmo is still a very popular character. Elmo. Um, you know, and there are more characters too. Don't ask me to name them. I don't know. I know Big Bird's still there and Oscar the Grouch and stuff, but you know, the, the, the OG. Sesame Kelly Street and Harry and Cookie Monster, Grover, Grover. Uh, the Again, Count, played by Frank Oz, who is still getting work outside of Star Wars because I didn't realize this, but he is the lawyer in Knives Out. Shit, that was Frank Oz. That was Frank Oz. Oh man, yeah, really? That was Frank. I I didn't even. He didn't. He didn't. I didn't use even his like normal Frank Oz voice. I, I... He, I looked at him and thought he looked familiar, but. Yeah, so there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a something right there. Frank Oz, who is of course, you know, Miss Piggy and Animal and Grover and Yoda and so many characters that you know we grew up with, you know, still kicking around, still doing other things. Like obviously he was great in Trading Places, and obviously he's 
really good in in this as well. But you know that again harkens back to my childhood where we're like, oh my god, Frank Oz! Oh, we love Frank Oz! You know, uh, he is just synonymous with Muppet character voices. Yeah, uh, Jim Henson and and Frank Oz. Like you can't have one without the other. Well, I mean, you kind of you really can't can, Henson, but you can but i get i get what you're saying yeah. i get what you're saying um so yeah sesame street huge i love sesame street still do i love my muppets another big one for me was the magic school bus i loved miss frizzle they, yeah that might be a little uh, the our, our age difference comes in, comes into play so that, every that now was and then kind of popular around when i was in like sixth seventh grade and that you know i'm 12 13 years old at that point it just it didn't do much for me but Miss Frizzle was awesome. I know a lot of my friends who actually went into teaching because of Miss Frizzle and how just crazy and engaging and unique she was. And not only did, you know, there was some science and stuff involved, but it was imaginative and and just really got you thinking outside of the box. And it was just such a colorful and fun show that, you know, you, you learn something at the end of the day, too. And I, I always appreciate that. Another one for me is The Reading Rainbow. Oh, yeah, with LeVar Burton. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I didn't realize until years later that, you know, I thought that was like the only thing he did. I didn't realize that he was in Roots and like he was actually an actor outside of that. And because he was doing that at the same time he was doing Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes, yeah, I had no idea he did any of that for the longest time. I just thought he was the reading rainbow guy. Well, the only reason I knew about him being in Star Trek was they actually did an episode of Reading Rainbow of like some behind the scenes stuff for Star Trek. Like, hey, this is how I do my makeup, you know, and they put the visor on me and I do this. And this is how this character gets into makeup. Like they showed Michael Dorn. Like they did all these different things. It's like, oh, this is how they do this effect. And this is how they do that. So it was kind of like a nice, a very nice crossover between the two things, kind of bringing both worlds together. And I, this show specifically was kind of a little after my time, but my sister watched it, Arthur. Arthur nope. the Aardvark. Uh, and what's funny is I believe most of these shows, if not all of these shows, aside from The Simpsons, what you mentioned, are found on PBS or were found the on PBS. Children's Television Workshop. But which just kind of drives home, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, the importance of having educational children's television that's equal parts entertaining and educational that has some sort of value to it. You know, obviously the Saturday morning cartoons, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the gem, the Looney Tune, yeah, the yeah. Looney Tune cartoons and stuff. Those all play a role into making us who we are, but these PBS shows, these educational and entertaining shows are what really help us kind of find our way and what kind of really almost they help mold us they help make us it's like the the they have that show the toys that made us well these are kind of like the shows that make us yeah and they actually just released a new version of that called the movies that made us oh that's really i'll have to watch like the first the first commercial i saw was actually for ghostbusters so i thought that was interesting uh that you brought that up like just completely out of uh out of context but one of the things that these shows did, you know, like um, Mr. Oh, Rogers. Oh, and Zaboomafoo. 
Zubumafu? Zubumafu. I don't know. He was a slut. So my sister watched it, and I forget the two. I watched Zubilee Zoo. That's kind of the Oh, I used to love Zubilee Zoo. Um, The two guys, I forget their names, but they were, I'm pretty sure they were zoologists. They were brothers. They're kind of hot, not going to lie. But they had Zabumafu when he was this little sloth character. And sometimes he was a puppet and sometimes he was real and sometimes he was claymation. And they would go on these animal adventures. It was uh, Martin and Chris Kratt. Yeah, the Kratt brothers. Yes. Uh, and I remember my sister watched it a lot. She was obsessed with Zabumafu. And it was a really cute show. But you learned a lot about animals and stuff, too, and how to properly care for specific animals and respect animals as well. So, again, another great program on PBS. So if you're looking, I mean, we're recording this right now on Tuesday. It's Giving Tuesday. The public broadcast system is a great, great, great charity to give your money to. Another thing I was going to uh, point out about the, these shows is that they kind of took on some uh, difficult discussions and difficult topics that parents didn't always want to discuss, like, you know, death or, you know, kind of demystifying of certain things. So we were watching a clip earlier from Mr. Rogers getting his Lifetime Achievement Award at the 24th Annual Daytime Emmys, and a gentleman in a, in a motorized wheelchair came out. And this is actually someone that he had had on the show back when the kid was like five to six years old. He was very, very young. And, you know, you get I, I watched that clip and then to see him come out on stage all these years later and talking to Mr. Rogers as he's getting this this award. And, you know, because Mr. Rogers sang him this song, like the I like you just the way you are song. He said to to Mr. Rogers, he's like. On behalf of everyone whose lives you touch and all the millions of kids, everybody here, you know, I want to tell you that I like you the way you are. And it's just like, oh, my God, like there were so many of these moments that it's just like your eyes get all filled with water and and, you know, you're wondering why it's so dusty in the room. And yeah, and, and he he did things like, you know, this kid and he was, he was talking about why he became handicapped and you know, the different surgeries that he had undergone. And the kid had a great attitude because Mr. Rogers is sitting there. He's like, I'm so proud of you. You're like, you're doing so well. You know, he never looked at somebody like they were below him or different. Like, I mean, they were different, but it's like the differences are make up, are, are what make up society. And, you know, like Sesame Street had Linda, the deaf character. Like, that's the first time I can remember seeing a deaf person on TV. And she was just part of the neighborhood. She was no different from anybody else. Right. They made accommodations as such. You got to learn a little bit of sign language. And they were all closed captioned. Right. And, you know, it's just you didn't think any different of this situation because they didn't make the situation different. You know, they made the appropriate accommodations to accommodate everyone. And that way everyone's included. They had, yeah, they had uh, Luis and Maria who spoke Spanish. They had uh, Gordon and Olivia. Then they had their son, Miles. Like, it was never, you know, oh, that's Gordon the black guy or Linda the deaf lady. It was just, that's Gordon, that's Linda. That's Cookie Monster. Like, and I think that's one of the great things that they did because they took all these characters and not only made the puppets different colors. You know, it wasn't like they were trying to, to fill a quota or, you know, 
they wanted to make sure everybody was represented in some way, shape, or form. They had old people, Mr. Hooper, and they dealt with Mr. Hooper dying. Yeah. Holy shit, that's right. Yeah, and I think um, as of recently, if I read correctly, they added a, a puppet, like an autistic Muppet puppet yes, to like the Zoe crew. Zoe or something. Um, I don't know if so, that's the right something, name. Something, yeah. It's, but they add the autistic But, puppet, yeah. you know, it's it's just... It's all about inclusivity and all about identity and being able to just show people that your differences are what make you you. And, you know, there's no need to discriminate. There's no need to, you know, everyone should have the ability to live their life to their fullest regardless of what that is, you know, regardless of what devices they may need in order to do that. Yeah, the character's name is Julia, and she is four years old, and she is on the autistic spectrum, according to Wikipedia. That's her name. Oh, my God, she's so stinking cute. So I love Muppets so much. All right, I really want to get into this. Uh, yeah, Mr. so why don't, we, why don't we? And we want to hear from you guys. We want to know what shows helped shape your childhood and carry you into your adult life. So hit us up on the social media, let us know. And I think now is a really great time to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to delve into this, this great discussion of who Mr. Rogers is and the character of Mr. Rogers. We'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Hey everybody, we are the Derailers, Goobs, Ripkin, and Jenny Bean, and you can join us once every week for a brand new derailment. It includes sidetracking, randomness, we just can't stay on topic. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Derailers. And please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. Derailers! Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma! Hi, my name is Grando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. And you're listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? 
It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? And we are back. Thank you for joining us in our neighborhood. Uh, that, of course, the iconic song that pretty much everybody knows if you grew up watching any of these things. But I promised to, that um, I was going to say and demonstrate that Mr. Rogers was not beloved by everyone. And I think when you hear what the source of this is, um, you will you may not be surprised. We don't like to get political on this show. But I just want yes, to point out the fact that this is from, and I'm, I'm not letting uh, Ashes see the monitor. He wants like a candid reaction. Yeah, so. I, I need you to have a, a... Brace yourselves, folks. I don't know what's coming. This is a segment from, uh, I'm not sure when this came out. I'm trying to... Is it Howard Stern? It is not Howard Stern. I don't think Howard Stern is this much of an asshole. Uh, this was July of 2007, and you may not be familiar with these names, Allison Camerota, Steve Ducey, and Brian Kilmeade, but you might know them as their more popular name, Fox and Friends. Oh, fuck them already. So this is from Fox and Friends, July of 2007. So four years after his passing. Four years after he okay. passed. And I'm going to play this for you folks, and I want you to listen to this. And then, if you are a fan of Fox News, kind of take what they say with a grain of salt going forward. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, nine minutes after the top of the hour. How's your self-esteem? Well, not as, inflated, not as good, frankly, not, because, because generational. As a result, you with uh, Mr. Man, Rogers, this evil, evil man I has now not ruined evil. a generation of kids. And you know what? what? I'm with Captain Kangaroo. He was uh, half a generation ahead. That explains a few things, Steve. Absolutely, because these experts are saying that the kids of today who grew up with uh, Mr. Rogers were told by him, "You're special just for being who you are." Well, here's the problem. Gets lost in that whole selfish business and the idea that being working hard and having high ambitions for yourself discounted. He, j Mr. Rogers' message was, "You're special because you do." He didn't say, "If you want to be special, you're going to have to work hard." And now all these kids are growing up and they're realizing, "Hey, wait a minute, Mr. Rogers lied to me." I'm so. Allison Camerota literally just said that Rogers is an evil, evil man. Now, if you've ever watched anything that Mr. Rogers has ever done, the words evil once would never come up, let alone twice in rapid succession. So I promise this is the only time I'm going to get angry on this, this particular uh, episode. But Ashes, you just heard this for the first time. What do you think of this? Fuck them. 
Like I know Mr. Rogers wouldn't swear, but I feel like in in this uh, particular instance, he would tell me that I sh- it's okay to be angry. And it's okay to vocalize my anger in such a way as long as I'm not hurting myself or somebody else. Um, Fuck them! Seriously, how can you say that? How can you say that? Clearly, these people did not grow up watching Mr. Rogers. I don't think they probably even watched an episode of Mr. Rogers. Uh, Mr. Rogers did so much for validating children and their feelings, saying that, hey, guess what? It's okay to feel this way. I was having this conversation earlier with Patrick during lunch. When a child feels something, honestly, it's probably feeling that way for the first time. You know, when a baby falls down for the first time and it starts crying, that's the worst pain it's ever felt. When it happens again, it may not cry because it's like, oh, well, I've done this before. It's not that bad. You know, as adults, we have been conditioned to feel certain ways and to deal with certain things. Children aren't, you know, and as adults, we kind of forget to sympathize and empathize with children feeling the way that they are. And Mr. Rogers is a great reminder of that. Kids have feelings. Regardless of their age, you have feelings regardless of your age. Mr. Rogers wants to let you know that your feelings are valid. It is okay to feel the way that you feel and it's okay for you to express how you are feeling, whether it's happy or sad or hungry or mad or whatever. You know, kids go through situations that kids shouldn't have to go through. Go through. Kids deal with divorce. Kids deal with death. And Mr. Rogers really touched base on that in a way, and and he broke it down in a way that's simple for kids to understand, simple for kids to comprehend. Me as an adult, I don't relate to children well. I, I have a really hard time talking to kids. I have a hard time censoring myself. With some kids, that's totally cool and we bond and it's great. But with the majority of children out there, I just, I, I don't have that. Mr. Rogers did. He got it. He understood how to talk to children on their level. And he asked them, how are you? He wanted to know how they were. As an adult, let me ask you, when was the last time somebody asked you how you were? How are you? And it wasn't as a pleasantry. You know, we say, hi, how are you? Yeah, I was just saying, like, in passing, we ask each other, hey, how are you? But we say it. Uh, robotically, we say it, you know, in, in a way that it, we've just been programmed to do that. Honestly, I say it not even realizing it, and I bet you do too. You know, it's just it's just how things are. It's how the nature of the conversation has evolved, or I should say, lack of conversation has evolved. I don't remember the last time somebody sat down and was like, "Hey, how are you?" And I'm not talking about somebody that you pay to ask you that question. I'm talking about a friend or a colleague, your parents, somebody who cares about you. When was the last time somebody sat you down and said, "Hey, seriously, how are you? How are you doing?" Like, I am generally interested in your mental well-being, which is sad because social media is plastered with all of this, you know, uh, memes and, and you know, self-care and mental health and we should care about ourselves and each other. But we don't practice what we preach. 
Mr. Rogers did that. He checked in with everyone. And we'll talk about that a little more in a bit. But like how I, I just I'm, I, I can't wrap my head around the fact that somebody would say those kind of things about someone who is just genuinely good. He is such a good person, was such, is still a good person. We are still learning from him, his teachings, his followings, just his, this, this television program that he's blessed us with. No one has been able to dig up a scandal on this guy. Because he doesn't have one. Right. That's the thing. And to be fair, I do ask you how you're well, doing no, all the time. I, I, yeah, I, but you know what I'm trying to say. I know what you're say. saying. I know you what know you're what saying. You know what I'm trying to say. People, as adults, we become so closed off. We become, you know, uh, these ships just passing in the night. In the night. Yes. You know, and we don't check in on each other. However, you know, we'll post these pictures and memes and inspirational quotes and shit on social media. Like, you know, I'll check in with each other. Like, sister shout out, check in, you know, and self-care Sunday and stuff. But we don't practice that shit. Posting it on Facebook or social media is not the same as actually calling your friend or texting your friend or, or going to see them. And like, oh, I know you're having a tough time right now. Let me let me help you. Right, but that's what that's what Mr. Rogers did for children. He got on their level and spoke to them, spoke to us as kids in such a way to let us know that the way you're feeling is okay and we're going to get through this and we're going to help you process your feelings because it's okay to feel feelings. And that's another thing too as a grown-up, it's almost like you're not allowed to feel feelings anymore. Right. Well, I I I just want to uh I want to read from this article because I don't want to spend any more time talking about the bad stuff that Fox News said about Mr. Rogers. I want to focus on the positives. But I know you were you were on a roll there because that's just so frustrating and infuriating to even to see someone even like suggest that. So the way that Fox and Friends tends to do they're like, well, you know, this expert and this did the study and this is what happens. No, uh, according to Snopes.com, which is where this article is found. The Fox and Friend hosts ne- cited neither, or uh, neither cited nor identified any experts or studies that corroborated what they were asserting. So basically, they cherry picked something that someone said, and then they used it to grab headlines. Uh, the single source they repeatedly referenced was a Louisiana State University or LSU that they said in the the video professor who neither possessed an academic background in psychology or sociology or any related field nor had undertaken any type of study about the issue. He was a finance professor at LSU whose anecdotal speculations about his students had recently been quoted in a short Wall Street Journal article about why young adults feel so entitled. He said, they felt so entitled, he recalls, and it just hit me. We can blame Mr. Rogers. Professor Chance teaches many Asian-born students and says they accept whatever grade they're given. They see B's and C's as an indication that they must work harder and that their elders assess them accurately. They didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers or anyone else telling them that they were born special. So, the way I interpreted Mr. Rogers saying, like, you are special, the way I look at that... What he's saying is, you might be in a wheelchair, you might be deaf, you might have some sort of uh, a disability, but that doesn't make you any less of a valued member of the society. You know, you may be a kid who's a little on the chubbier side. You may be shy. You may have anxiety. You, 
you know, you may not fit in with your friends, your, your peers, your family. You may think a little bit differently, you know, and that's okay because what makes you different is what makes you special. He wasn't saying don't shoot for the stars. Don't achieve your dreams. Don't set high expectations People for yourself. People owe you things and should just hand yeah, you no, no, everything. No, it, was, it was nothing about entitlement or expectations at all. It was about loving yourself. It was about loving yourself. Right. If anything. It was about loving yourself. And to quote the great RuPaul, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Seriously. And that's what it, it was about. Loving yourself, accepting yourself, and loving and accepting others for who they are to create a better society. Right. He wasn't saying. Mic drop. Don't ever improve yourself. I mean, if you want to talk about what made people entitled, and this is, I, I promise, just a quick side note. Uh there was the uh, the doctor Spock, not the one from Star Trek, but the doctor was named Spock, and he was, don't ever tell your kid no, don't spank your kid. If they want something, just give it to them, and that's where you came up with this uh, this entire generation of entitled jerks. But to kind of draw a little bit of attention to Mister to, to Fred Rogers' background, so he earned a bachelor's degree in music from Rollins College in 1951. He wanted to enter the seminary after college, but chose to go into television instead after encountering a TV at his parents' home in 1951 during his senior year at Rollins. In an interview with CNN, he was quoted saying, I went into television because I hated it so and thought and I thought there's some way of using this fabulous instrument to nurture those who would watch and listen. He did eventually go into the seminary and also worked, uh, had a 30 year long collaboration with child psychologist Margaret McFarland uh, in the development of his children's television programming. Right. So he wasn't just, you know, some guy up there spouting nonsense from a, a, a single article or a, a, a line that someone said in a Wall Street Journal post. No, he was working with people who had degrees, who had these backgrounds, and he went out there and he, he, he spoke with people. One of the he was very very religious. Uh, actually, his wife in the uh, in the documentary "Won't You Be My Neighbor," which is on HBO. So if you have the HBO Now service or uh, you you know want to get a you want to watch this, you know, uh, I think Hulu or Amazon, you can sign up for the free trial of of HBO and watch this. Uh, his wife on his deathbed, he asked her, "Do you think I'm a sheep?" And that represent what he was referring to as a Bible passage that said that God would separate everyone and he would take the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. And his wife, Joanne, said to him, Fred, if there was ever anybody who was a sheep, it's you, meaning like you will, because that's according to Christian mythology, if you, if you are seated at the right hand of God, that you are up in a, a... The Lord is my shepherd. You are an exalted position. Yes, yes. Like, that's where, you know, where the phrase right-hand man comes from. Right. Like, so, to kind of give you an idea of who Fred Rogers was, uh, I want to refer to the movie a little bit, because this really exemplified a lot of, you know, his teachings and stuff. 
And one of the things I loved about this film is it wasn't about Mr. Rogers, but it was about Mr. Rogers. Right. And they even and kind that of referenced that. kind of sums up his life so well because he lived his life for others. So, you know, to know Mr. Rogers is to know the people who Mr. Mr. Rogers touched their lives. Right. So one of the things that they show in the movie is every time he met somebody, he would take their picture because he preferred to take pictures to kind of document the moments. And he, he would say, like, I want to take your picture so I can have, it, you know, develop later on and show my wife the people that I meet. And, you know, we see this in the film, like he would stop and like, you know, be in the middle of an interview. Can I take your picture? I want to take your picture or like. The, one of the children that he met, he was like, I want to take your picture. You know, we take the picture of the whole family. And, you know, they show his, his apartment where he lived. It was a big apartment because I don't think it was a house. Because I, I, I believe he even mentions that it's an apartment um, in uh, Pittsburgh. And lining lining the walls were just different pictures, things that people drew, things that uh, you know, pictures that he took of people, and I'm sure he rotated them because there's no way he could just keep the same pictures up all the time. It's also believed, so Mr. Rogers received thousands upon thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of fan mail in his lifetime. It is believed that he wrote back to every single person who wrote him. Yeah. Personally. Because like he, he believed that if someone's taking the time to write to him, that he should take the time and write back. Right. Like, so he personally wrote to each and every person. Like, people would send who him. Wrote to him. Would send him pictures or. And he would send thank you cards back. Yes. Like, like thank, thank you, you for the nice yes. picture. I like it very much. Thank you. You're very talented. Even if it was like a four year old that looked, it looked like they drew it with their foot. He it, didn't it wasn't, care. right. It wasn't what it looked like. It was the fact that somebody took the time out of their day to do something to show their appreciation for him. So he wanted to return the favor. So, one of the big things that uh, Fred Rogers believed in that would help children is consistency. So if you go back, and I, I watched a, a, a YouTube thing about him today, and they had like a montage, you know, from 1968 through 2001 when the show was on the air. And they just kind of spliced together a bunch of random episodes, you know, years apart. The opening song that you just heard, you know, from our, our coming back from break had not changed. Like, if you just closed your eyes, didn't watch the, the video, you just listened to the audio, there was almost no change in him singing that song. It was identical. Him zipping up his sweater all the way and then zipping it down a little bit. And Fun fact, his mother actually knitted all of the cardigans that he wore. For a good long time. Yes. And then eventually, like... They had because he was on the air for thirty three years. They had to, uh, they would buy some and they would dye them. One of them is in the Smithsonian. I think the red one. Yeah, the red cardigan, because his mother would knit one sweater a month because he had eleven siblings, or or eleven family members. Because he he said in an interview, I think with Joan Rivers. He said, yep, every year at Christmas, my mother gives 12 sweaters out because she would do one a month and then just give everyone a sweater. And, you know, the whole switching from his uh, dress shoes and his dress, uh, his jacket into the cardigan 
uh, there were two reasons for that. One was, you know, this is about the time that parents were coming home. You know, uh, the work day was over. So that, you know, he's getting into a more relaxed outfit. The reason he switched the shoes is that uh, his dress shoes made too much noise on the set. Oh, really? That's why? And the microphone would pick it up. So he would switch it to the sneakers so he wouldn't make so much noise. But it was the same pair of sneakers, yep. the same dress shoes. There was a, somebody played a prank on him as they were recording, and they had switched his dress shoes out during shooting, and they switched it with someone who wore the exact same pair of shoes, but they were about three sizes too small, and he thought it was like the best thing. He thought it was just the funniest <laughs> joke, and he he laughed, and he was like, oh, that's so wonderful, you know, just the way he was. You know, like, does that sound like an evil man to you? Like, an evil man would say, like, you know what? You're fired. You know, and instead... Who the fuck do you think you are? Do you know who I am? He's like, how dare you? Like, he laughed and had fun, and it was it was just... He looked at it as someone took the time to, like, buy the exact same shoes as me just so they could have a little fun at my expense, and it didn't hurt anyone. It didn't make anyone feel bad. It was just... A funny little prank. It cost them a take. Like, not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, just a, just a little bit of film footage. He kept that. Speaking of keeping takes, um, there's a scene in uh, in the movie. And so, some of the things that they did in the movie, they kind of, they played with the timeline a little bit to kind of give, um, they played with a, a few facts. Not a lot about Mr. Rogers. But even this one, technically, it's an inaccuracy in the movie where... Uh, in the movie, the 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 journalist's name is uh, Vogel, Lloyd Vogel. Uh, in real life, his name is Tom Junot and uh, J U N O D. And as I pointed out to you, looks a lot like Joaquin Phoenix. Looks like it could be his twin brother. Yeah, really. his 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 brother. Uh, ooh, no, let's not talk about River Phoenix. But... Well, we'll say twin twin brother is fine. Yeah, twin so they brother. Could... They could be twins. And or close like, cousins. And that could have been, not that Matthew Reese didn't do an amazing job, like he should be nominated as well, but you know, you could have had Tom Hanks playing off of Joaquin Phoenix. But there's a scene where he goes to set because he's getting ready to interview Mr. Rogers, and Fred's trying to put this tent together. And he couldn't do it. And like they're videoing him, you know, they're they're taping him and he's struggling and he's struggling. He's like, Oh mercy. Like he doesn't get frustrated or upset and he just kinda turns to the camera. He goes, You know, sometimes it takes two grown ups to do a job. And they're like, Oh, you know, we'll cut it, we'll just have the the um you know, the uh the tent already assembled and he's like, I wanna keep this because I want the kids to see that sometimes there are things that you even grown-ups need help with and it's okay to ask for help it's okay that you can't do everything yourself now the original incident happened in 1975 you know about two decades before this movie takes place and they didn't end up using that footage they did go with an, a completely assembled tent for the actual show and but they kept the footage and he showed it on David Letterman in 1982 and he used that like Hey, you know, just I wanted you to see this because, you know, not everybody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I need help sometimes. And it's okay to ask someone for help. One of the things that I do love is that when he went into interviews on talk shows, what have you, 
he would bring those same values with him. You know, all of his his talk show appearances are so wholesome and just so genuine and and just just uplifting and nice, just so incredibly nice. And like these talk show hosts didn't know what to do with him because, you know, some of them thrive off of scandal and and what have you. And and that's just not him. But he brought those values with him and taught the audience, taught the viewers, you know, a, a little bit of the lessons that he would teach during his show. Now, something you had brought up earlier, and they bring it up in the movie, and he talks to uh, Lloyd Vogel in the in the film, and uh, something you had brought up earlier that I want you to kind of expand upon and let the folks at home know in case they're not familiar. Um, in the film, he talks about how he used to be chubby, and the children would chase him and tease him and call him Fat Freddy. And you had mentioned something about earlier, like, well, even if you're you know, a little a little heavy or a little overweight or you're shy, it doesn't diminish who you are. So tell a little bit about that. Yeah, so Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, as a child, he was he was slightly overweight and he was teased a lot. He was tormented as a child, he was bullied, and he became very shy and kind of recluse as a result. And what he would do is he would seek refuge in his own home, in his room with his puppets and stuffed animals. And they became his friends, his confidants. So when he was putting this show together, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, you see that because he has his puppets and these animals that become, you know, his friends in the land of make-believe who help talk through, you know, very specific events. And, you know, sometimes they put on operas and shows and they have fun, but they also discuss some very, very, very serious subject matter. Uh, Daniel Tiger, da- excuse me, Daniel the Striped Tiger. No, just Striped, not the... Um, He was my favorite. I just always loved Daniel Tiger. And one of the things I loved, by the way, is that he never replaced the puppets. Or he, he may have done it at one point, but for the most part, when you see any of his shows, it's the same puppets because he wanted to show the wear and tear of time and how even though something is a little worn and a little dirty, it's still good. Well, that speaks to the consistency. So um, I forgot to mention this when I was talking about it earlier. Like you're talking about using the same puppets over and over and the same sets over and over and the same WQED studio that he used for 15 years. Um, If you look at the background, like the apartment, the house where he lived on the show, same curtains. You know, picture, picture, the the picture on the wall that he would look at and they would show, you know, short video clips, things like that was the same. The fridge, the stoplight, everything was the same from 1968. Even the fridge, there was like an old, like, Westinghouse fridge in the kitchen that probably didn't run anymore because it was from the 60s, but it was the same fridge in 1995 and 2001 and 1978 and 1984. Same one. Because there's comfort in consistency. If everything is consistent, these kids watching the show know that there's something they can rely on because some of these children come from very inconsistent homes. Right, and if you can, and that was the purpose. Right. So if you can, wherever you are watching this show, if this show can be your constant, 
that's what Mr. Rogers wanted to be for some of these kids. Some of the things that he tried to change didn't end up working, and they ended up going back to how it used to be. Like when he would leave, you know, when he would always have a message like, I'll see you next time, I'll see you next week, I'll see you tomorrow. You know, he tried, you know, kind of tinkering with that. And it's weird to say it this way, but, like, I can understand why they would not want to go in this direction. Like, there was one, instead of saying, like, I'll see you tomorrow, he was like, I'll be thinking about you tonight. That I get where he was going, but I can understand where some people were like, okay, maybe not go that route. But again, it speaks to how innocent and pure and genuine Mr. Rogers was because he wouldn't think of it in that way, you know, versus people telling him, no, maybe you shouldn't say that because people could take it the wrong way. But obviously, Fox News would have had a field day with that. Well, one of speaking of that, Mr. Rogers claims that he will be thinking of you tonight. Discuss. um, One of the things that, you know, it's a popular meme that goes around, and I know you have some stuff on this that I want you to get into after I talk about this, because he wanted to maintain a certain image. Like, there's a, a scene in the in the movie, and I'm sure this came up in many interviews, where the interviewer says, well, how do you separate Mr. Rogers, the character, and Fred Rogers, the person? And he was like, I don't understand what you mean, because there was no separation. It wasn't playing a different character. He was... Mr. Rogers. He is Fred Rogers. There's no line of demarcation. They are the exact same thing. So there's a meme that goes around every now and then, and it's Mr. Rogers flashing a double middle finger. And taken out of context, I can understand why people are like, oh, look at him. He's joking around. He's flipping people off, and he thinks it's funny. What he was doing, and I watched the clip. It was from the 60s. Uh, maybe early 70s, he was singing a song with the kids and, like, you know, showing the whatever he was doing, it was kind of like using each finger individually to show, like, the individual person. And when they got to their middle fingers, obviously he had to show his middle finger and do the exact same routine that he did with every other finger. And he kind of laughed about, you know, he, he looks away and he won't, you know, look directly at the camera. He's got a little bit of a smirk on his face, but he's trying to not make it seem like these fingers are any different and there's no hidden meaning behind what he's doing. It's sort of like when a, a toddler swears for the first time, if you freak out and the toddler sees your reaction and thinks it's funny, the toddler will continue to use that word, probably in a public setting where you don't want them to use that word. However, if you downplay it and don't really give much of a reaction, the kid will be like, oh, well, I guess that's no different from any other word. And they'll stop saying that the way, you know, they would stop saying anything else. Like if you want them to stop singing the stupid song from Frozen, get them to listen to something else. Don't reinforce the fact that it's driving you nuts. Kind of change their mind and distract them with something else. Now, Ashes, you had mentioned something about uh, Mr. Rogers and his image Uh, I want you to expand on that, please. Yeah. So in 1985, Burger King actually produced a commercial with a Mr. Rogers type character at the forefront. And it was in a mocking like way. And Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, actually called up, got in touch with the CEO 
of Burger King at the time and asked that that commercial be removed because he didn't want children confusing that parody of him with who he is exactly. And they did. They said, well, I'm, I'm so, you know, they apologized. They were like, I'm sorry, Mr. Rod, you know, Mr. Rogers, we didn't mean to offend you or anything. We will take that down. And that's the kind of reputation that he had. And the impact that he had on people. Now, I want to just touch on some, before you get to the second part of that, because this kind of ties in with that. Fred Rogers became a vegetarian in the 70s. So to have him in the Burger King commercial would be like a double insult. But he became a vegetarian in the 70s after reading the book Diet for a Small Planet by Francis Moore LaPay. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's L-A-P-P-E. You can still get it on Amazon today. And he would always say, I can't eat anything that had a mom. And funnily enough, again, Mr. Rogers, uh, way ahead of the curve here, you know, when he read Diet for a Small Planet, that book was about the impact the meat industry could have on climate change. And that was, you know, almost 50 years ago. So that's another reason why he would not want anything remotely to do with a Burger King commercial, because at that point he had been vegetarian for about a decade. So, Ashes, there's another thing that you want to cover. Right. So I'm not exactly sure of when it was either the 80s or the 90s. A t-shirt company. It was the 90s. Yeah, I think it was the 90s. Um, A t-shirt company came out with a shirt that portrayed Mr. Rogers holding guns in his hands and whatnot. And the shirt said, Mr. Rogers in the hood. And Mr. Rogers caught wind of that, saw that and was like, Oh, abs- absolutely not. This, this cannot be. Uh, so he got in contact with the right people and asked that not only production be stopped, but for the current stock of this product to be destroyed again, because he just didn't want children to see that and to confuse, you know, any affiliation with this product. They don't want to be like, Oh, well there's Mr. Rogers on a t-shirt holding guns. He, you know, doesn't, it, it kind of contradicts what he's telling us in his, uh, shows and and whatnot so he just didn't want to confuse kids at all he just wanted you know everyone to know who he was and what he stood for however so i think it was back in the 80s on snl um eddie murphy parodied him with a sketch mr robinson yeah mr robinson's neighborhood yes and um you know, obviously it was a parody of Mr. Rogers. And the only reason Mr. Rogers did not have an issue with that is because it was on past the bedtime of his audience. He knew that kids would not see that. Well, there was also, I forget, I, it may have been And if Saturday, you think about it, like, this is before, like, computers YouTube and social and media and stuff. So it's like you had to watch Saturday Night Live it was even live on Saturday nights. Well, around no, it was that before time. that VHS was widely okay. like it was fifty bucks for a tape. Yeah, that's true. You know, three hundred bucks. Right. For a- so he knew that his his audience wouldn't see this this parody of him and confuse the two. Whereas the shirts were readily available, and, and the Burger King, walk by yeah, them. yeah, you know, and the Burger King commercial was on TV, you know, during all hours of the day and what have you. So there was also a thing where it was 
it was obviously not him, but it was uh, basically it was a boxing match. It was like a celebrity boxing thing from the eighties, and it was oh, I was going to say celebrity death match. It was Mister Rogers <laughs> and Let's Julia Child, and oh. he uh, is losing. He's getting just pounded into submission, and he puts King Friday the Thirteenth on and uses that as his boxing glove and wails on Julia Child. So first oh, of all, dear. hitting a woman. He's not going to do that. Second of all, hitting anyone. He's so not first, do actually, that. no, no, no. First of all, he's not going to put King Friday the Thirteenth in harm's way like that. He's just not going to do that, right? But I mean, one of the things they did not cover in the in the film that I thought would be good to touch on because they do talk about it a little bit in um, the the documentary is Francois Clemens, who was Officer Clemens on the show, and he was kind of he said in the in the in the documentary, um, he ca- where he came from, like he said, he came from the ghetto, and at that point, the police were maybe the most dangerous people that could show up, which you know obviously is totally different now. Um, and he was also gay, so Fred Rogers employed a gay black man to portray a, a cop, and you know he. <sighs> He kind of hit it because, you know, Fred was very concerned about the conservative viewership of his show, what they would think about having someone who was gay on this TV show. He didn't want there to be a scandal. And Francois Clemens said he never held it against Fred and viewed Fred as a father figure. When um, Martin Luther King was assassinated, Fred drove to Francois's house and picked him up because he was afraid for what might happen to him. Because that's the type of guy that Fred Rogers was. And he did, uh, in one of his shows, he tried to address uh, the topic of assassination. And it was done in a very interesting way. I watched the clip earlier today. It was Robert Kennedy's assassination. And uh, it was he was portraying Daniel Striped Tiger and he was talking to a young lady named Betty and they were doing this exercise with a balloon and to kind of show that, you know, I'm not exactly sure what he was trying to show, but that, you know, everything is part of everything else. He's like, okay, if you blow up a balloon and then you let all the air out, the balloon might be empty, but all that air is out with everyone else kind of mixing in together with everything else. Uh, And then in like, you know, he was talking about that and all of a sudden just says, what does assassination mean? But like, if you're watching that as an adult, you're like, Oh my God, that's, that's clunky. And like, why would you say that? Like in the, like out of nowhere, because that's what a kid would say. And that's how a kid would do it. If a kid hears something over and over again, and, you know, back then there were only a couple of news channels, and every single one of them had the assassination of of, uh, RFK on, and so they kind of tried to talk about that a little bit to kind of understand what that word meant, which is tough to do on a kid's show, but they at least made the attempt. Like, they didn't completely ignore it. They talked about it a little bit, and it's like, what does this word mean? Oh, that's a word that you've been hearing a lot, isn't it? Yes, and I don't understand it. Can you please explain it to me? Because you're an adult. You know, I'm this young, innocent, you know, 
Daniel Striped Tiger, you know, can you please help me and describe this for me because I don't know. So I it tackled a lot of difficult issues and we even see that in his interaction in the film. Well, kind of going back to Officer Clemens for a moment, Mr. Rogers did something that was very could be taken as controversial with this character. So the show debuted back in 1968 during a time where segregation was a thing and it was awful and you know it was just it was just plaguing our country. And what Mr. Rogers did in a response to the segregation of of pools and having different drinking fountains Bussing. and different you know just just different everything for the most different bathrooms different everything it was stupid uh he had a little kiddie pool that he was just kind of waiting in he had his feet soaking it was a nice day and uh he, officer clemens comes around and he asks officer clemens if he would like to come you know take a break and soak his feet now, we don't think of that as being controversial, but it was at the time. And what it taught children was, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It just doesn't fucking matter, you know, in, in nicer terms, obviously, because Mr. Rogers, you know, he didn't do that stuff. Um, but, you know, it, it and it was just so shocking to some people. But it really brought this generation of children to thinking that, oh, that yeah, that, that why wouldn't you share a pool with your friends? Again, why why wouldn't you you know share a bath like you know a public bathroom with your friends? Why wouldn't you share things with your friends? Period. And um, it was in the mid nineties that was when Officer Clemens had his final episode. They actually ninety three yeah. recreated that scene uh, as like a send off. Mr. Rogers, again, was, you know, just kind of like soaking his feet in the little plastic kiddie pool. And Officer Clemens comes around and he says, you know, oh, officer, you know, come, come sit with me. Come soak your feet. And, you know, it's just it's it's such a small gesture, but it has such big meaning. And it's it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, um, you know, like Sesame Street and all the PBS shows. You're not looking at him as, you know, and they're not portraying him as Officer Clemens, the black cop. It's Officer, Clemens. Officer Clemens. It's Officer Clemens. He's a police officer. He's my friend. And, you know, you know, the, the, the scene that you're describing, talking about the pool and everything, you know, just this little kiddie pool. It's not, oh, my God, a black guy and a white guy are sharing the same water. Oh, my God. It's, hey, my friend is tired and you know, I'm going to help him relax a little bit because he's working hard. And obviously we know that Mr. Rogers was a religious man. And one of the things I actually love about him is he doesn't beat you over the head with his religion. He just kind of teaches you, you know, the underlying concepts. Be a good of, person. Right, exactly. You know, have morals, do good stuff. Um, but in religion, in a lot of religions, foot washing is a thing. Like it, and it's a sign of respect, reverence, and it, yeah. So it kind of has like these, you know, religious undertones as well, which you know some people, but um, you know, believe in and you know take 
Yeah, they, it, was, it, they, it means something to them. They take so a lot not of only from was it, yes. it controversial because of the whole segregation issue that was happening, but it was also a religious thing as well. And so you know, it just kind of goes back to the whole Mister Rogers just wanted everyone to be treated well. Period. One of the, one of the things that uh, Fred would do whenever aggre- uh, addressing like a large crowd or a gathered. Uh, group of of people no matter what they were I saw, i've seen him do it in a commencement speech saw him do it at the emmys when he got his lifetime achievement award and even uh he does it in the movie and in the movie it's done to such great effect where he's at this restaurant that he frequents all the time for lunch and he asks lloyd vogel to close his eyes and have a moment of silence and while you're just contemplating think of Someone, and this is like getting to me. Think of someone and remember them. Remember good times and stuff that they that you had, and think of how happy it would make that person to know that they're the one that you were thinking of in that moment. And it's, ugh. <clears throat> It's so powerful. It's so profound, but it's so simple. It's so easy. Like it it doesn't matter who you are. You've had someone in your life that has affected you in a positive way. You know, it's funny we were we we're sitting there we're watching the movie. We're eating our our barbecue chicken flatbread at the movies, which is just so good. And we're sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've asked this question a thousand times. Like, if you could meet any celebrity at any time, who would you want to meet? And it's like, shit, I wish I could have met Mr. Rogers. Yep. I think that would have been just the most profound experience. And he was just unerringly positive. You know, his wife said, you know, like he would have a temper, he would have an issue, he would, you know, he would get mad. But when he would get mad, he would kind of like take the anger away. It's sort of like um, the thing that it reminded me of was dissociative identity disorder, where, you know, someone suffers abuse and a different personality emerges every time that abuse is thought of or, or recurs. So it's not them that's getting the abuse, it's this other personality. What Fred Rogers would do, you know, when he talks about, you know, play all the low keys uh, at the same time on a piano or, you know, like he says in his song that you'll hear pound coming up. Some pound some clay some dough. See how fast you can run, you know. He would start talking in the voices of one of his other characters. And his wife even said, you know, I don't, you know, if I were to say who Fred was, he was more Daniel Stripe a Tiger than anyone else. You know, he wasn't King Friday. Like, that was an aspect of his personality. So it's like, that's who would be getting angry. It wasn't him. You know, and they kind of touch on this a little bit in the film where, you know, he's like, uh, Vogel says to him, you know, it must, you know, must have been difficult, you know, for your kids having you as a dad. And you would think like, oh, Mr. Rogers, like, everything's great. But it's like, it's tough to live up to those type of standards. Like no matter who your parents are, there's always a difficult standard to live up to. And I think we, you know, he even addressed this. He goes, you know what? I think you're right. 
Now, I don't know how accurate that part is, to be completely honest. Because Yeah, I, in my research, I couldn't find anything pertaining to his children. And then I stopped looking because that's honestly none of my business. Right. You know, even his, ki- his kids maintained a very private life. You know, he said in the movie that, you know, one of his kids waited until his 20s to even acknowledge the fact that, yeah, Mr. Rogers is my dad. You know, because wanting to build a life outside of right. of the potential of the family name. Now, unfortunately, that's a common enough name, right? Where you're not gonna put two and two together. It's not like Schmeckelbeckel. Like, oh my God, you're John Schmeckelbeckel. You must be related to Mister Schmeckelbeckel of Mister Schmeckelbeckel's neighborhood. Yeah. Um. But I kind of want to go into the fact that a lot of people think of Mr. Rogers as a character. And a lot of people question this character. And in reality, there is no character. The character of Mr. Rogers is portrayed by Fred Rogers, who's ultimately playing himself. Like, it's, it's, there's no characterization there. And they kind of touch base on that a little bit in the film. And... He became the ultimate interview. People like everyone wanted to interview him. However, no one once they had him in the seat, they realized that he was actually a bad interviewee because he would try to change and and kind of flip it on the interviewer and become the interviewer himself. I don't know if you're following me here. So, you know, say he was being interviewed by Joan Rivers. He would then start trying to ask Joan Rivers questions and befriend Joan Rivers and take take a picture of Joan Rivers so he could then show his wife and stuff and be you know he wants to he wanted to be everyone's friend well, and say- regardless of if if it was an interviewer on a late night talk show or if it was an interviewer for a small local magazine he wanted to know about you. He wanted to know why you were asking him the questions that you were asking. He wanted to know why you were doing what you were doing. He wanted to know who you were. He wanted to take your picture and he wanted to become your friend. He just didn't, he he didn't want to be interviewed. He wanted to be interviewed by a friend. He wanted to have a conversation. Exactly. Yes. He didn't want to be interviewed. He wanted to have a conversation. So that's. And he would actually follow up with. Pretty much everyone who ever interviewed him in some way, shape, or form, whether it was a letter or a phone call, a lot of people who interviewed him, who he had any type of contact with at all, kept in touch with him, which is just remarkable because I can't even keep in touch with my own mother sometimes. Well, it's they touch on this a lot in the film, you know, when we see the, the interactions that they have back and forth uh, between... Lloyd Vogel and Fred Rogers is he's like, Oh, I want to set up an interview time with us. Like, well, you got me on the phone. I'd love to talk to you right now. Like I, I'd love to set up an interview, but we're also on the phone right now. So let's make the most of our time. And like they would talk and then he went to interview him and, you know, we kind of, the whole thing with this character of Lloyd Vogel uh, is based on, like I said, Tom Junot who wrote for Esquire and he had a reputation to the point where uh, they were doing like a, a puff piece, you know, like talking about heroes and things like that. And no one would talk to him because he had a habit of kind of delving into people's lives and asking really personal questions 
and then writing articles that didn't exactly paint that person in a great light. And re- they didn't bring this up in the movie. They kind of hinted at it. But he was a bit of a, a, a bad boy, and they thought it would kind of be funny to have him interview Mr. Rogers, especially where he had just had an interview with Kevin Spacey, and the article that he wrote hinted heavily at Spacey having several lurid secrets that he didn't want to be made public. And we kind of know how that ended up turning out. So um, Fred Rogers, though, looks at him and is like, I would love to interview him. Because, like, what do you... First of all, he has nothing to hide. And second of all, it's like, how are you going to say anything bad about Mr. Rogers unless you're on Fox goddamn news? Uh, Ashes, you wanted to say something. You were scribbling furiously over there. Um, So we went to see this film on Black Friday. We are now recording it on a Tuesday. This episode will drop on Thursday, duh, because of the name of the show and stuff. Uh, so we saw this film, let's see, Friday, Sunday, Monday. So four days ago. This film has stuck with me for the last four days. And I've been trying to process, I, it, it does hit you in the feels, but it didn't hit me in the feels the way I thought it was going to. It, like, I, I didn't really cry. I, it wasn't like a, it, it was a boost of nostalgia, but at the same time, it wasn't. I've been thinking for the past four days, and what you just said, Patrick, just put everything into perspective for me. And I'm like, I'm like legit fighting back tears right now. Making the most of your time, making the most of my time, making the most of your time. That's what he wanted to do. And that's what he was trying to teach us. And that's what he's trying to get us to carry, uh, to carry with us as adults, making the most of your time, being a good person. I'm not a good person. I'm a horrible fucking person. I just, I could, I, I could stand to be better, but making the most of your time, you know, life isn't supposed to be just going to work and trying to pay bills and trying to, you know, keep up appearances. They're supposed to, there's, there's something more. There's something more than that. And that's what he's trying to teach us as children, you know, and in and, and hopes of us, you know, carrying it into adulthood and, you know, living a life worth living. You know, there's got to be something more than just going to fucking work every day. Well, it's like uh, the meme that keeps showing up with Mr. Rogers where he's drawing a picture of a house and people use it as a metaphor for life. It's like, well, I'm drawing this. I'm not very good at it, but it doesn't matter because I'm doing my best and I'm trying hard. One of the, the, the best meme that I've seen, and it's a, it's a little comic strip, and it's Mr. Rogers uh, and Thor, and he's holding Thor's hammer. He's like, excuse me, young man, is this yours? You know, because obviously Fred Rogers would be worthy to lift Mjolnir. Oh, absolutely. And he he hands it over to him and he's like, wow, that's, you know, very heavy. He goes, but you lift it like, you know, it's it's very easy for you. And he said, well, yeah, but not everybody can lift it. And he's like, well, that's, you know, just like life, because, you know, some things that are easy for some people are very difficult for others. And that that's exactly what Fred Rogers would say to Thor if he saw him. Oh, but but the whole making the most of your time. Fred Rogers passed when he was 74 years old back in 2003. Stomach cancer. 
He ended his show in 2001 uh, just because he felt that it was time and he wanted to pursue other things as, as well. Uh, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer back in 2002 and was taken from us less than a year later. Making the most of your time. We don't know how much time we have here. Like we don't, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get so deep all of a sudden, but well, but it's true. Like we don't, we don't know how much time we have here. We don't know what our purpose is. We don't know, you know, we just don't, we just don't know. We just don't know, but we need to, we need to just make the most of our time, you know, be, be a good person, do, do good stuff and, you know, live live a life worth living like Mr. Rogers did. Yeah, it's... You know, normally I go through these episodes and I edit out a lot of these, like, long pauses and and things like this. And I'll... You know, if it's, if it's really excessive, I will edit it out. But this week I'm not going to do that because we're both like really experiencing emotions and I'm really hoping that listening to this and, you know, if you're hearing our words and you're, you're really thinking about, you know, the message that we're trying to pass on that, that Fred Rogers passed to us that, you know, you're understanding that these pauses are just full of emotion and, and there's no reason, like there's nothing wrong with having feelings so there are out in the ether 895 episodes of Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Uh PBS is currently replaying about 400 of those episodes. So I'm really hoping that this new generation of children being brought up are watching Mr. Rogers and learning these values that we learned and can help shape the this this next generation of children. And, you know, that his his teachings and his mannerisms and his just pure hearted goodness can continue to live on for generations. I want to point out when you're talking about the amount of episodes. So typically a season of a show will have, depending on what type of show it is, anywhere from eight to ten to maybe 20 episodes, you know, like a Simpsons season will have around 20 to 24 episodes, depending on how long it goes. And The Simpsons, as you know, is the longest running TV show. And by the time this season ends, they will have fewer than 700 episodes. And it's been on, this is, I think, the 32nd season. Fred Rogers, his first year, 1968, did 130 episodes that's more than two a day. And then, uh, I'm sorry, two a week, two a week. And then the following, the next four or five years did 65 episodes a year. Because, and they had, and I'm going to play a clip from his, uh, his uh, testimony in, in front of Congress. But uh, Ashes, you, you have something there for that. Yeah, so before we kind of wrap this up, I want to touch base on something that Mr. Rogers did that is so astounding and so incredibly important. On May 1st, 1969, Mr. Rogers testified before the U.S. US Senate Subcommittee on Communications, 
which was chaired by Democratic Senator John Pastore of Rhode Island. As part of his testimony, he recited the lyrics to What Do You Do With the Mad That You Feel? President Lyndon Johnson had proposed a $20 million bill, $20 million bill, excuse me, for the creation of PBS before he left office. But his successor, Richard Nixon, wanted to cut the funding to $10 million. Even though Mr. Rogers was not yet nationally known, he was chosen to testify because of the ability to his ability to make persuasive arguments and to connect emotionally with his audience. The clip of Roger's testimony, which I believe you're going to play in a little bit. Yeah, it's the the song, the lyrics, and then Pastoria's reaction. Was televised and has since been viewed by millions of people on the internet and helped secure funding for PBS for many years afterwards. His testimony was considered one of the most powerful pieces of testimony ever offered before Congress and one of the most powerful pieces of video uh, presentations ever filmed. It brought Pastore to tears and has been studied by public relations experts and academics ever since. Congress, uh, congressional funding for PBS increased from $9 million to $22 million dollars. In 1970, as a result of this, Nixon appointed Rogers as chair of the White House Conference on Children and Youth. And, you know, to talk about these huge numbers that we're talking about, you know, as part of the testimony, which I absolutely it's about six, seven minutes long. I absolutely like go out and and watch this video. It's on YouTube. It's free. Just search Mr. Rogers. And as soon as you start typing that up, it'll it'll like congressional testimony starts fills in and if you've actually seen the drunk drunk history episode speaking of drunk hey um the drunk history episode featuring colin hanks tom hanks son playing fred rogers they actually touch base on this hearing and it's it's powerful it's super cool and obviously if if you're a fan of drunk history you know how cool that those episodes can be um but yeah that's actually what they talk about is the congressional hearing that fred rogers uh attended and thus persuaded funding for pbs yeah because he talks about you know how they started off with a budget of 30 dollars an episode you're talking, you know, you look at the last season of Game of Thrones and everyone talking about how terrible it was. And that was, what, $50 million an episode? Can you imagine what Fred Rogers could have done with just $50 million in general? Like, we could probably go for another two hours just talking about how awesome Fred Rogers is. But... I think what we're going to do, like I said, I'm not editing any of these emotional pauses out because there were a couple times when the, when each of us were very close to breaking down because of the impact that this man had on our lives. And, you know, especially I think it's more poignant as adults to kind of sit back and think about it, especially in the political climate in which we find ourselves. Um, Dude, being a grown up is hard. Yeah. And, you know, Fred tried to tell us. You know? And I feel like as an adult, we all should really go back and rewatch some of these episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because we can still learn something. Yeah, just because you're not instantly good at something doesn't mean you should quit. And just because you're not as good as someone else does not diminish who you are. And your feelings are valid. 
And it's because of Mr. Rogers that I've been trying to, you know, over the past, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, I used to be very, very negative and cynical and I'm trying to get better. So, you know, you'll hear me say things, you know, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, instead of saying like, oh, if you didn't know about this, I instead will say, I'm going to tell you about this in case you're unfamiliar. I use that terminology because I don't want people to seem like I'm talking down to them because I've been accused of that many times in my life and I can come across as kind of a jerk. I understand that. And, you know, Mr. Rogers and his teachings have made me want to be a better person. And I'm only now realizing it as I'm approaching 40 that, you know, this guy knew what he was doing. And, you know, maybe just because he's nice doesn't mean we should automatically dismiss him. Just because he's soft spoken doesn't mean that what he has to say isn't valid so i think with that being said it's a very good time to go to break yes and when we come back we're gonna wrap up the episode we have bounty hunter battle results and we're gonna talk about what we're doing coming up so stay tuned Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> what do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady, and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Looks like you just earned the $20 million. <laughs> <laughs> And we are back. So obviously, that was again, Mr. Rogers, and uh, that's how that's a clip from the uh, the congressional hearing. And you know, you can definitely hear the the emotion in everybody's voices. And 
like I said, just do yourself a favor and watch the whole thing. Like, this is obviously the best part, but you need to watch the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, Ash, as you said, we have uh, we have battle results this week. What do we have for, uh, battle, for results! battle results? So last week, we threw down the battle for the bounty. We want to know which bounty hunter has what it takes to collect the ultimate bounty and survive. You could choose from Gecko from The Mandalorian, Django Fett, Boba Fett, or Bosk. And the results are in. And from Facebook and Twitter, the winner is Bosk. Wow. Not yeah. what I would have picked. Uh, I didn't. I picked, uh, if Dominic, if you're listening, I picked Gecko. I picked Gecko too. Um, Bosk is not the guy that I would have picked. Uh, I would have expected to win this. I thought maybe uh, the Fett might take it. But uh, like Rocky says, he has the fetish. Surprisingly, Boba Fett only got one vote. Who is that one vote? Do you happen to know? I do know. Who is it? Do you want me to... Yeah, who is it? Oh, Gail from the Scream Sisters. Oh, okay. I was going to say, just like I was asking. It's like, do you know who it is? Yep. Who? Who did you want me to say? It's called Suspense. I was trying to leave you in Suspense. Did I do a good job? Find out next week. (laughs) No, Gail from the Scream Sisters voted for Boba Fett. And uh, she was actually on a recent episode of Shark Bites, not the... Yeah, most not the most recent, recent episode, episode, but last week's episode. Uh, last week's episode where we talked about the prequel trilogy it was her, Shelby from Amalgamania, and uh, Chris Nigro from uh, Wild Hunt Press, who used to be on the TVCU Television Crossover Universe uh, podcast back uh, in the the days of our infancy. Before you were on the show, he had uh, his show back at Castle Wolfenstein. And that, at the time, had set a record for podcasts that I had produced at the longest podcast ever. And then we smashed that record this week with uh, only two guests. Unfortunately, uh, Jordan from Amalgamania, uh, she was uh, hit by a... Uh, she's talking to the cat right now, not realizing that that's getting on to the Oh, the I'm show. sorry. <laughs> I yeah. thought it wasn't picking it up. Yeah, the, the zombie wants to come Zombie join likes to sit the on the podcast. back of her chair. She likes to podcast. She has a voice. Podcast, P-A-W. And she wants to make sure that her voice is heard. She's she's my friend. She likes to participate. She likes to be a brat. Um, so yeah, Bosk wins. So I didn't uh, I didn't finish what I was saying. Yeah, Bosk wins. But what I was saying is this week I had uh, Rocky from the Force Insensitive podcast and Josh from uh, Source Point Press. They joined me to talk about the original trilogy, and that shows uh, four hours and fifteen minutes long. Like I said, Jordan from Amalgamani was supposed to join, but her deep space transmissions were being jammed by the Empire, and uh, she was trying to get in closer. But she was, was it Lone Star? No, she was uh, sniped by a, a Tie interceptor, and so unfortunately, she was unable to continue the battle. And uh, you know, she's going to be joining me hopefully on a, a future episode because I do want her to talk some Star Wars, and, you know, obviously we're going to have a Mandalorian wrap-up episode. But, yeah, that's Shark Bites this week. Uh, next week we're going to be doing a uh, preview episode. Um, I'm sorry, we're going to be a review episode on um, episode 7 and 8, uh, Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. I'll be joined by Phil from Dark Discussions, Steven from uh, the Super Retro Throwback Reviews, and Corey, who you heard a couple weeks ago on our uh, our uh, Harriet Tubman episode 
Uh, he is obviously from the from the Canopy podcast. So, uh, and Evil Corny, if you're listening, definitely check out uh, Force. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, obviously check out Force Awakens because they're our friends over there. But uh, definitely check out this week's episode of Shark Bites. Uh, Don't you mean Force Insensitive? Force Insensitive. What did I say? You said Force Awakens. Force Awakens. There's a, there's a lot of forces doing a lot right of stuff now. here. It's 11 o'clock. We had two bad snow days in a row, and we're tired. So, uh, But yeah, Corny, there's a special special message from Rocky to you on a this week's episode. special message. So uh, what do we got coming up? Have so we decided we yet? we are delving into the holiday season. Yes, it's now December. We're going to get a little spooky with our holiday season characters that we're we discuss. Spoop right into your stockings. It's so spoopy this Christmas. Um, so next year, next year. <laughs> Next week. Next this podcast week. Has, this podcast has everything. <laughs> Cats, wrong forces. Oh, my goodness. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about... Silent Night, Deadly Night. No, Gizmo's next week. Oh, Gizmo's next week. Silent Night, Deadly Night is the week after because right. we just saw... Uh, Ice Nine Kills. Ice Nine Kills, and they have a song about Silent Night, Deadly Night. But yeah, Merry Axmas. But yes, next week, it is the... 35th anniversary of the first Gremlins movie. Gremlins. Can you believe it's been around that long? Holy crap. Um, So yeah, we're going to be talking about Gizmo and Mogwai and the lore that kind of surrounds what Mogwai are and the rules surrounding the care of Mogwai. And uh, I will, of course, be playing the Simpsons Halloween special clip. That's one of my favorite clips of all time when Homer goes to the similar shop. And finds out what he can get with his purchase for his son. Bubble. And uh, I was going to say, you know, we can talk about our interactions with Zach Galifianakis, but it's Zach Galligan who is, uh, <laughs> who is in that. Cause we, yeah, and and, and Zach Galligan that we actually had the interactions with because yeah. we've never met Zach Galifianakis. We have not. So that actually works out really yes. well. So we're not going to talk about Zach Galifianakis. Very good job. Yes, no, we're not going to talk about Zach Galifianakis, but we will be talking about Zach Galligan. And we will talk about the secret special uh, connection that this movie has to your favorite movie of all time, with all the ads that keep popping up recently. Why the hell did they decide to turn E.T. into a Fucking Xfinity commercial or Verizon or whoever the fuck he's doing the goddamn commercial for. Whose idea was it? Who do I get to kill? Who do I get to fucking strangle until their very last breath exits them? Because this is some bullshit. Why am I opening Facebook and seeing all of these people posting, Oh, E.T. is back. This commercial. It's so heartwarming. Oh, it hits you right in the feels. No, it fucking doesn't. E.T. Pops out from a goddamn snow behind a goddamn snowman and is all like, I'm E.T. And I was walking into the room on Thanksgiving as this commercial's playing. E.T. pops out and all of a sudden he he screams and I scream and my mom can't stop laughing. I had no idea this was a thing. Why is this a thing? I don't know. Make it go away. Kill it with fire. 
They tried that. He just comes back. Oh my god! Why is he it's back? Like the of, it's like the end why of is Frosty it? the Snowman when they stab him with ads ice. with him everywhere. Like I'm trying to do IMDb things, research. and then all of a sudden, like a fucking ad with ET on it pops up, and I'm like, ah, like screaming at my phone during work. Well, not during work. At during lunch at work. During lunch work. But I'm like, what the hell? Why is why is this haunting me? Because that's what haunting is. Why it's also do people a hate me place so much? For animals. A haunt is a place where animals feed. I learned that from it. But uh, I think on that note, just remember, we like you just the way you are. And, and we, we will, will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive it's such a happy feeling you're growing inside and when you wake up ready to say i think i'll make a snappy new day it's such a good feeling a very good feeling the feeling you know that i'll be back when the day is new and i'll have more ideas you and you'll have things you'll want to talk about I will too you always make each day such a special day you know how by just your being you only one person in the whole world like you that's you yourself I'll be back next time bye bye